Beyond the ideas of wrongdoing and right-doing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make sense. Hi everyone. Today we meet Melissa, a young, vibrant and energetic English lass. I'm not going to say a lot about this chat at all. I had to edit it more than once to get it short enough to publish, so I do not want to take any more time with this intro. What I can say, see, here I go, is that we chatted as if our lives depended on it, and I loved every second of it. She is such an interesting person and so easy to talk and listen to. This podcast is supported by The First Layer, the 12-step workbook on working through the 12 steps in any addiction in 21 sessions. There's also a 24-day step coaching and counseling program available based on the first layer. More information in this regard, go to www.freddy.org.za and click through from the notices at the right of the homepage. I hope you have as much fun listening to this episode as I did making it. Sit back and enjoy. Melissa, welcome to Meet Me in the Field. Thanks for having me. I haven't seen you in (laughs) such a long time. Thank God for social media. Yeah. Because there I see... You don't post a lot, actually, thinking about it. No, I don't, actually. Mm. Are you too busy studying or is social media just just something that you're not that into? I think I get more into it when I've got more time on my hands. So if you don't hear from me for a long time, you know that I'm batshit crazy running around (laughs) somewhere. But also I think that I've just realized that it's better to be in the moment. And then if I need to catch up and post stuff... I've got, I, I'm, I'm still doing a lot of stuff. I'm still out and exploring or having delicious food or whatever. I'm just not posting as much. Okay. Now, you're from the UK. Yes. How did you end up in South Africa? It was recommended to come here because I, it was due to my using. Okay. So, so you came for recovery? I came for rehab, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and we were at the same place, it, it seems, a few, year, a few yes. years apart, just down the road, basically. It was the best. And funnily enough, we are sat in a living room in the same little town where that place is. Freaky. How crazy is yeah. that? I never imagined I would live in that town. So you came over for <clears throat> rehab, and at what stage did it dawn on you that you might want to stay? I think when I got here, I was like, oh my gosh, look at this place. And I got here in April with a suitcase full of summer clothes. <laughs> Because to a Brit that's never been to Africa or South Africa, there's no seasons, you know. And I, yeah, my rude awakening was getting off the flight and finding it was absolutely pouring down with rain and it was freezing cold. But I just... <laughs> you, th- you thought the plane made a U-turn? Completely. I was Landed like, if they drop me off in the right place. <laughs> what do you mean there's rain? <laughs> so naive. I think for me... Arriving here and knowing that I was changing my life and I was leaving all of that, the drugs, the booze. I even quit smoking in rehab. Did you? Yeah. Okay, you won ahead of me. I refused to. Because that rehab wants you to stop smoking. Yes. The guy that owned it, he used to say in one of our sessions, he would ask us some questions. How many meetings have you done? Have you spoken to your sponsor? Yeah. Are you still smoking? Ah, and if he said yes, he'd say, then you're still in your active addiction. Ooh. And I heard that. And I was like, but I didn't come here for that. Yeah. I don't want to still be in active addiction. Hang on a second. What? 
So was this in primary? Or so, no, that was in secondary. In secondary, okay. So yeah. it took me, I think it was in my second week of secondary, so it was pretty much six weeks in. It was the 2nd of June, 2013, I had my last cigarette. Oh, wow. And I just changed the psychology of it, and they helped me with that, with, okay. with different sessions. And I still say I learned more about the application of the 12 steps when I quit smoking yeah. than I did when quitting the drugs and alcohol. Really? I've heard because that before. Because you crave every 20 minutes. Mm. Well, with drugs and alcohol, it's not like that. Mm. So it was far more in your face. Yeah. So the amount of surrendering that I had to do, praying to have these cravings removed, it was hectic. I think what I discovered, actually, was, for me, it wasn't a craving. It was anxiety. Okay. And I think once I had that realization, everything else made so much sense. Because when I got this feeling, and this is when I was trying to come quit smoking I got this feeling and then it was almost like okay I can't handle it I can't cope anymore I need to smoke but if I think about that from when I was using drugs and alcohol that feeling would arise I thought it was a craving need a cigarette you go out for a cigarette if you don't have any smokes what do you do okay just give me a drink yeah if you if you're with your (laughs) peeps and you're out that feeling's there we need to go to the toilet and do our thing yeah you know, so actually, what was it? Was it social anxiety when I was out? Ah. Was I uncomfortable? Was the craving of a cigarette something because I'm bored or I'm anxious in a social yeah. environment again? Like, what was it? So I really started to look at the, a bit more in-depth for it. And actually, I realized, for me, it wasn't a craving. It was anxiety. Oh, okay. And I used, I used pranayama to quit. Okay. And that was my breath. And I would do 10 long, slow inhalations and exhalations and the craving in inverted commas would go. Okay. So when I started to do yoga and the more in-depth I got into my yoga practice, I realized it's anxiety. Oh, wow. And obviously I, I listen to a lot of people online, YouTube videos, and they say exactly the same thing. When you're having a troubled situation and you get that, just take a moment to calm yourself down, use your breath. Yeah. I would have smoked on that. No, can't go. Uh, Give me a fag. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm so weird with breath. I, I do a lot of meditation. And it's so weird when I say take a few breaths in. My first thought is always, I don't feel like it. <laughs> it's, as if, it's as if kind of suddenly to exert the energy to breathe is just too much for me. I, I, I want it to just happen. I'm not willing to give any input. And I think that's the way I lived my life. Yeah. Well, I always jokingly said kind of, I've never worked for anything in my life. Things just happened for me. So, at the age of 51, I, dis- I realized that I actually need to work for the breath. I-, I need to work with breath if I want to have the benefits of it. Yeah. My first thought is always, you know, I don't want to. Yeah, well, it happens naturally anyway. <laughs> Why do I have to put any more effort into it? <laughs> Absolutely. Where in the UK are you from? From London? No, I'm from Leeds, which is in the north. Okay. I'm actually from a very small market town outside Leeds, which is very similar to Fishhook. I was okay. liking it to Fishhook because it's that very small town mentality. There's people that don't leave and they don't go to the big city okay. and they're very happy in their little town. We obviously don't have a beach. It's in the middle of farm, farmers' land. Sounds and lovely. Rolling hills. It's gorgeous. But there's also a big drug problem there. I always find it fascinating when you hear somebody saying that, oh, where are you from? Then they're from a small city in the Karoo. And what was your drug of choice? Cocaine. I think where the How'd fuck do you get, get cocaine in the middle of the Karoo? It seems we to be everywhere. We will make a plan. 
<laughs> Did you start using there already? Yeah. Okay. Obviously, the first thing was cigarettes, then booze, then weed. But as like many other people, I swore I would never do drugs. I oh. swore because my older sister was on heroin. Oh my God. And she was completely AWOL. So when I was growing up, she'd left by the time I could even like think for myself. And I always remember there was always problems with my sister. So I always, I swore I'll never do that. And it's the typical story, isn't it? Addiction is non-judgmental. Mm -hmm. It doesn't pick and choose who it non is. Non-discriminatory, I exactly. love that. Yeah, yeah. In your family of origin, was there a sense of spirit spirituality? From my mum, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Catholic? And no. Not? No, not religious. But my mum, my mum brought me up in, uh, with definite fantasy. Angels, fairies. Oh. She's such a good storyteller. She Are wrote, she writes the best poetry. Oh. So there was definitely a fantasy land growing up. Was that your first escape, your first addiction, maybe? I think so, yeah, maybe. No, maybe. I think what springs to mind when you mention what was my first addiction, my first addiction was people. Okay. Uh, separation anxiety. Okay. And and then food, before any of the oh, chemicals. Okay. Yeah. I was very overweight when I was a kid. I went from being... Um, I know this is off topic, but I went from being a... Um, a child model to then just wanting food all the time and gaining weight to the point where when I was 13 I was in like 15 16 year old clothes and okay you know I was big yeah so Whoa. yeah I had a big problem with food but really it was people first or Amazing. if you really want to go back to it it was the thumb okay the thumb in my mouth was my first addiction so right from the start, the characteristics right the start. Were, were there. And if we go right back, and I discovered this through, through therapy sessions, I had two years of therapy when I moved here yeah. properly. And we discovered that the pattern of my comfort when I'm feeling anxious or unsettled or vulnerable was ice cream. Oh. So we, obviously everybody loves ice cream, but ice cream, milk tart... Greek yogurt so my therapist was like hang on a second is this really just a passion that you have for ice cream or is it a milk thing let's investigate that is it a mother's milk thing oh my word I want to know what happened when you were a baby so I went and I spoke to my mom and my mom said that she had kidney stones whilst she was breastfeeding me so she had to be put on medication she had to stop breastfeeding me before I was ready. Oh my word! How crazy is that? That's so awesome! I discovered all of this stuff. Therapy's fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> I never ate ice cream. Never. Coming into recovery, I suddenly the drugs and alcohol were gone and an old-time best friend of mine lost his boyfriend a few months before I came into treatment. And suddenly... When I came out, we were both single and both sad and both going through a lot. And we used to hang out once a week and we ate ice cream. 
so ice cream became the equivalent of me of an antidepressant. What's wrong with you? <laughs> so now I love ice cream. Oh, it's it is. Ice cream is just, it, 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 it's God's antidepressant. It's the mother's milk. <laughs> For you, it, it is. It is. Totally. So that's fascinating. Yeah. So it sounds as if you have a good relationship with mom. I have a great relationship with mum. Cool. And dad, is he still around? Is he alive? Dad, yeah, dad is here. Our relationship is building. It actually started to grow before I entered recovery. Okay. I don't know what happened. I don't know how it happened. But before I decided to put myself into rehab, I just had this change in perspective. I don't know whether it was my age. I was around 28. Um, and he was going through a bit of a tough time. And... We'd had a lot of separation for a long time and I, I had a lot of resentment towards him through my teenage years because he just wasn't there and I pushed away and obviously then he retracted and it was just, I think there was just so much <laughs> difference and yeah. separation between us and also very different from my mum. He's quite strict, a lot of lifestyle differences and my mum's very open and quite relaxed and very spiritual and, you know. Mum sounds arty. Very arty. Oh, very, very arty. I love arty yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm not. <laughs> so, yeah. so they're, they're my kind of alter ego. They're, they're, yeah. they're my opposite side, yeah. And she's and she's very eccentric. So Fabulous. I can understand why. Because if you don't have that inside you, it's really appealing to yeah. be around somebody like that. But I just had this realisation that actually my parents were once my age. And if I was feeling how I was feeling in my 20s and now in my 30s, how did they feel at that time? So I guess I really personalised them instead of a parent should be dot, yeah. dot, dot, or you should have done this, or you should have done that. And I tried to remind myself that he's also just a human being trying to survive in this weird place that we live. It dawned on me the other day that my father was younger than I am now when I left school. And I was the fourth child. No. And I think to myself... <laughs> I struggled to look after myself on a yeah. daily basis. He, how did he do it? He, exactly. How did he do it? Then I have the... I don't want to take my own right to opinion away, but I don't think I can really judge. You know, yeah. they, they really... It took me a long time to realize they did the best they could. Yes. For, for what they had at their disposal, they, they actually did a fucking amazing job. Exactly. And I think somebody once said to me, you can't give what you don't have. So as it happens, this year, I bought my dad a Father's Day present. And I haven't bought him a present for a long time. And I even struggle to, you know, like I, I would rather design my own card because it's one of those things where most of the card, greetings card, they say best dad in the world, congratulations. I don't feel like our yeah. relationship is like that. And so you're being authentic. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not, I, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. So then I designed my own card and it's maybe a picture of us. And what I've realized over the past five years of me being in recovery is his support, which blew me away. I actually FaceTimed him from rehab. I didn't tell him I was going to rehab. And Are he was serious? the one that dropped me off at the airport. And Where did I told you think him you were going? I was going to work on myself for a few months that I was going to go and ride horses and play music. I'd taken my flute with me and I was just going to have some therapy. But I did not tell him I was going to a rehab. Okay. And obviously I think he pretty much worked it out. <laughs> I had to get honest with him. And when I was in secondary, I FaceTimed him because I thought, well, I can't, 
I can't yeah. go there and tell him and I don't want to wait until I get home. Yeah. So I FaceTimed him and I said, yeah, this is what I've done. These are the drugs that I took. This is what my lifestyle was. And I'm here trying to make a change. And I'm sorry that I didn't tell you. And he was, oh gosh, he was like, oh, okay. Well, we did think it was booze, but you know, okay, cool. So I'm going to go then. And I was like, oh God, what does that mean? Yeah. And I didn't hear from him for a few days. And then I thought, okay, leave him alone. And do you know what? He, his support has been great. Oh, like his encouragement has been great. I actually imagined that he would completely disown me. I was quite shocked. So I've just, I, I just felt this year, actually, he's been a great support. And... Acknowledged that. And I've acknowledged that. And I bought him a really great gift where he gets to pick an experience himself. Oh, fabulous. And, and he FaceTimed me when he, on Father's Day, or I FaceTimed him, sorry. And it was, yeah. And he looked really chuffed. Oh, sweet. And it's quite difficult to please my dad. He sounds British. He's very <laughs> British. And he's from Birmingham. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So I was dead chuffed, you know. Yeah. You know, and I feel like that, that for me, is, is recovery in action. That is my growth, to be able to also give to my dad. Yeah. And see him smile and see him chuffed with that. And I feel quite emotional saying Wonderful. that. Wonderful. Well. Yippee, yippee. Yeah. <laughs> so coming back to your spirituality, it sounds like your mom created a dream world for you. Total. Where you could disappear in. I don't know whether she created that or whether I created that. Okay. Because I also found when I was at home last year, I was looking through all my old stuff. Oh, God. And, um, <laughs> Why do oh we do God, that to ourselves? <laughs> all the photos. Do you know what? I love it. But at the same time, it does dig up some stuff. Absolutely. That you're like, oh, really? Are we going to go here again? Yes. But I found some of my schoolwork from when I was at junior school. Yeah. And I used to love creative writing. And there was this creative writing story. And... Obviously, there's unicorns and dragons and there's a wolf and there's fairies or whatever. But it was all about me going to my own special world oh, and mate. only being able to take select things. And most of them are the myth- mythical animals. I actually don't think I mentioned one human being. Wow. I was just like, I just want to be happy. Yeah. And I want to be over here and I will take you and you and you. But actually, nobody can talk. <laughs> Amazing. So I was already yeah. in fantasy land in a, at a very young age. So I don't know where, whether it came from mum's influence and okay. storybooks because we loved story time at bedtime. Okay. But I've always been a vividly imaginative person. My senses have always been very heightened. My sense of smell, my hearing, which obviously plays into my yeah. music. When did music happen for you? At two and a half years old. Two and a half years old? Yeah. That's very early. Yeah. <laughs> How did that happen? Well, I didn't spot it, put it that way, somebody <laughs> else did. My mum brought me up as, uh, as a single parent. My dad would come up and visit me whenever he could. Through a play group that both myself and my godmother's son were in, the lady said, uh, we've noticed that both of your children have exceptional rhythm. You should really look into that. Okay. So then we were sent to, I think it was some kind of rhythm class 
And then from there, I think, obviously, mum's dream was the violin. So I was handed a violin and so was, so was Carlos. And we went to lessons. I mean, he's a genius. Literally. Uh, but you don't sound far off. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, he's <laughs> done a law degree. I'm not quite there. Um, but uh, he, yeah, we both learned the Suzuki method. It's a Japanese method and they believe that you teach a child by ear before you give them the music to read. Okay. So I learned to play by ear first wow. before I could read music. And that was violin. That was violin but first. But your instrument became... And then I began flute at around nine. Okay. So I, d I wanted to play flute. And then I decided I wanted to play piano at around 11. <laughs> and then at around 12, I wanted to play saxophone. And my mother said no. <laughs> was that just not no. classic enough? Or? No, it was, you've just got just, three. Just You're stick. starting to neglect the other ones. Okay. No. Choose, choose now and do yeah. that. Okay. And she was very tactical. She took me into the music shop and she said... Why don't you try and play one of the saxophones? And I couldn't even get a note. <laughs> and she was like, okay, that's settled then. We're not doing the saxophone. <laughs> now you come into Rio and it sounds as if there wasn't a concept of God or anything in your life at that stage. So when you read the 12 steps, what happened for you? Well, I mean, don't get me don't get me wrong, there was something because I mean my drug of choice was ketamine. That sent me on a magic carpet ride most of the time. So, I mean, we mentioned earlier before we even started the interview about somebody else saying, I don't believe in God, but music yeah. is my higher power, whatever that person yes. might want to understand it as. And music was my out-of-body experience. Oh. Music was the only thing... And obviously my friends and, and maybe a little bit of my family as well, obviously. But music was the thing that really got me through. So not God specifically. Yes. But there was something. <laughs> Sorry. I am completely stunned. <laughs> Ketamine, your drug of choice. I know. Where the fuck did you find that? Everywhere. Did you snuff it? Yeah. And a lot of it. But it... Knocks you out. It's a horse tranquilizer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I also so can't believe fuck, it. How the fuck did you function? And you know what? I was so skinny as well. So um, it must have knocked you for a six. It actually stopped knocking me for six. It actually started working more as an upper for me. It was, in, it was bizarre. The first time I ever tried it. I tried the tiniest little bit on the end of a key and it sent me into a magic carpet ride and I was like, oh my gosh, where have you been all my life? Whoa. Actually, no. That is a complete lie. <laughs> the first time I tried it, I was given a line as long as the lines that I used to do of cocaine. Oh my. And it completely shafted me. It completely screwed me over. I started using it to escape. And it was the next time that I touched it and I was I was petrified of it. I can imagine. And a friend of mine said to me, just try a little bit. Just try a tiny little bit, just yeah. on the end of a key. And I tried it and that's when I fell in love with it because I experienced, my experience was completely different. It was magical, it was floaty, it was giggly. I had visions oh, wow. and being an arty fart. I loved that. 
Yeah. You know, I loved my it sounds as if it, it fed into everything from childhood. All everything. the colors and fantasy. All and, of it. Oh, cool. Okay, so back to the 12 steps. Yes. So now you read the 12 steps and what happens for you? So the higher power thing, the God thing, I was like, all I could think about was the private school that I was sent to. And the word God and me actually sitting bolt upright when they were saying the Lord's Prayer. I was like, I'm not saying that. I don't believe in God. Oh. I used to pray to God on my knees when I wanted him to take me away from my family because I didn't feel like I belonged in that family. Okay. And nothing ever happened. So why should I believe in God? Yeah. I was still there. There was a lot of stuff going on in the childhood home. So I became very resentful that okay. I couldn't get away from that. Obviously, the typical, you know, if there was a God, people wouldn't suffer, people wouldn't die, people wouldn't be starving in Africa. Absolutely. And everywhere else in the world, you know, all of that. So when I heard the word God, I was like, hmm, don't know how I feel about that. So I wouldn't say God at the start of the serenity prayer. And then all of a sudden we had this talk by a guy that used to come in, Father Harry. Oh my word, I loved Father Harry. And the way in which that man spoke about God, I just completely resonated with. I loved that man. He was incredible. He made such a difference to so many people's lives. So many people. I wonder if he realized that, Father Harry, if you listen, please know. He made such a difference to so many people. Absolutely. And it was very simple, and I'll just mention a few key things. God is the universe. It's good orderly direction. It's the great outdoors. It's dog spelled backwards. <laughs> great outdoors. That's a new one that I'm learning. And I also learned in a podcast recording the other day, gift of desperation. And that? Yeah. So I identified with that. And he also just explained, how can you, how can you explain you get a cut on your skin? It heals. You don't have to do anything. A man and a woman get together. They put one thing with the other thing. And then that does it all by itself. You don't go, okay, guys, we need to come together now. (laughs) You need to start doing that so that we can merge cells. We don't have anything to do with that. A flower sheds a seed. It floats in the air or a bird takes it or a bee takes pollen and whatever. And then all of a sudden you get new plants. We get fruit. We get all of these things that we have zero Amazing control stuff, over. Yeah. How does it happen? Oh, yeah, yeah. A very interesting thing happened for me the other day. Now, my higher power is nature, and I call yes. her Natura. And, um, I like that. And she's this big, huge African woman. I with love these that. Ample bosoms oh. and big oh. open arms and a round, smiley face. And she's just always welcome. I love Always, that. I love the picture as well. I, I can't, I can't, I don't know how that picture got into my but you know. And so my higher power is nature, but I actually don't like going for hikes and stuff. So it's very weird. So, and I started feeling guilty, kind of, how can I call nature my higher power if I don't engage with it on that level? And then I walk my cat through the complex on a lead every morning. And doing that, and cats, unlike dogs, don't go somewhere. They kind of linger. Yeah. They, 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 <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> so, so while Tyson lingers, I kind of take very significant cognizance of the flowers and how things are growing and the smell and the how many leaves are on this flower and exactly how does that pink differ from that pink. And I suddenly realized that I am a micro 
nature person. Also my garden. I get a lot of fun from my garden. And I don't know anything about gardening. But yeah. a lot of people in the complex come knock on my door and say, I need to plant this tree. Why do I need to put it? I don't know. No. I don't know anything about gardening. But look at your garden. And it's because I made a deal with Natura. Beautiful. I'm going to rip out the ugly and please help it to make it beautiful. Wow. <laughs> so, so I really I have a micro association with nature. I don't have to be on a mountain to, to, to be in touch with nature. It made me feel good because I, I really felt guilty. Yeah. I need to go for hikes. You know, yeah. No, I don't need to go for hikes. Yeah. I find it right there on my front step. Exactly. Yeah. I found it in your garden Beautiful. when we looked out there. Yeah. <laughs> I love the green there. So now you've met God. Mm. And was it a, a, a natural progression for you? Was it easy? Um, the whole recovery thing, the whole spirituality thing? I think prayer was the most difficult because obviously I just felt like I was talking to myself. Yeah. <laughs> but really, that's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> so when I came to terms with that, it made it very much easier. <laughs> I love that because I sometimes go on my knees. And I start talking to Natura and I think, Freddie, you're talking to an, you made this up. <laughs> you are putting all your faith, everything, your whole life. You turn your will and your life over to the care of, of what exactly? Yeah. And then I think, but is it really so different from other things? <laughs> and I'm completely okay with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think once, yeah, once I accepted that actually it is what it is. Yeah. And what it, is it? You're just I don't know. Tapping into something bigger, stronger, yeah. more powerful, yeah. whatever. And I think that comes with trust as well. It's just trusting, you know, kind of building trust and and finding acceptance with self as all yeah. a product of that. Because I want to say that trust. I think it is trust in self. Yeah. It starts coming, and then you you can actually expand yeah. that wider. Yeah. So I saw you about, we, we realized earlier, maybe four years ago, so you were really fresh in recovery. Super fresh. One thing I remember, what I'll never forget, are your beautiful tattoos. <laughs> Especially your two birds. My love birds. Oh my God, they oh, are yeah. awesome. They are so beautiful. And I have a new one as well, which is my wolf totem. Oh, so cool. I have Wolfina now as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's again part of my recovery process. Do you design your own tattoos? So most of them, the lovebirds were designed by the tattooist. But you knew exactly before. what you wanted? Yes. Oh, okay, cool. And where you wanted it? Yes. The only one that I don't, that I, that I don't have masses of love for is my first ever tattoo. But I'm sure everybody with tattoos will probably say the same. <laughs> but yeah, everything else has meaning behind it. And I can remember what time in my life, what it represents and... I have a Ganesh that was overcoming obstacles. I started her just before I came into rehab. Okay. And I finished her when I got out of rehab. Oh, fabulous. Probably a year later. Two years later, actually, because I couldn't afford it. I was going to say, that is so bloody expensive. Really like, look expensive, at people that's just, yeah. how, how do you afford it? Well, I have a really good friend. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. But also, a lot of people say, but you know, I want it. And therefore, I give other things up. Yes. To so, make this happen. And, you know... I don't spend money on drugs and alcohol and cigarettes anymore, yeah. so why not? Spend it on yourself. Yeah. I would Physically easily, on yourself. Yeah. Exactly. <gasps> Talk about eating. I nearly forgot. Yes. So your Instagram handle yes. is not quite vegan. Correct. Take me through this. <laughs> <laughs> because it's exactly what it says on the tin. I'm not quite vegan. 
I. But you don't eat meat. I do occasionally. Okay. And more so in winter. Okay. So I guess my my journey in this new life has been about listening to my body. Ah. And sometimes that does not happen, and I suffer the consequences later. Mindless eating, you know, eating stuff that doesn't really work for me. I struggle with food at the moment. Sure. Yeah. Oh god. I'm exactly. Never, I never had this in my we're life. Both, we're both clutching. We, you know, we're, we're both, both clutching, clutching the tummies. little wobbles right now, <laughs> just so that you know. And we both have body issues already. Exactly. I can see, yeah. But I think, I think, and I don't know whether you feel the same. I found a lot of acceptance, and far more than ever. In my exactly. Life. But sometimes that also doesn't stick, and yes. sometimes I'm going, "Oh my god, no." The thing is, I. When I'm not happy with my body, my head starts telling me stuff that's mm. not true, but I believe it. Mm, exactly. And when I start believing that stuff that my body, that my head tells me, then I'm a fucked. Then, yeah. I'm, then I'm in serious yeah. trouble. Well, I've actually just been listening to a lot of Byron Katie. She's such a big influence on my recovery. Byron Katie. Byron Katie, and she does this thing called the work, and she asks this thing, this thought in your head: Is it true? Okay. So initially you say, well, yes, of course it's true. But is it really true? And then she asks a couple more questions. And then she invites you to turn it around. Turn the whole process around. And actually, most of the time it's not true. And actually the problem is with self. Yeah. And especially when it's to do with other people. And I've, I've started to discover a lot about myself. But when it comes back to the food... In rehab, we weren't allowed sugar. Yeah. So I get into secondary. I go buy a slab of top deck because we don't have that in England. Um, <laughs> and a bag of popcorn. And even though it's salted popcorn, it still has to go somewhere when you're not doing exercise. Yeah. So I gained some weight. And then when I went back to England, I lost some weight. And then just to jump forward, when I moved to South Africa, I spent time with a lady who was very much into her organic and into her natural products. And I just learned so much from her. Oh, cool. And then when I moved into a different space, I decided I was going through quite a traumatic time. And obviously the first thing to do is, okay, I need to gain control in another area of my life. Oh, God. So I decided I was gonna do a sugar-free 21 day challenge. So myself and my friend did it. And it just changed my whole perception of food. Just that 21, the 21 days turned into about two months actually. Okay. Uh, maybe a bit longer and then I just maintained uh, a low carbon and low sugar diet for a long time and then I didn't and then I started to eat things again that I hadn't eaten for a long time yeah. and then I went back to it so my my life and my diet and my relationship with food chops and changes all the time but the biggest thing for me has been a, acceptance around that and yeah sometimes it's going to be great and sometimes it's yeah. not going to be great but my fundamental is I have a green smoothie pretty much every day. I have a juicer. If I, if I have time, I'll juice. If I'm going to have sugar, it's got to be worth it. I want nice quality dark chocolate and I want homemade cake. <laughs> I am a Great British Bake Off fanatic. Are you? And, and the new series, was it Prue? The new judge, she says, it needs to be worth the calories. Yes, <laughs> so, exactly. So, yeah, what you say, it needs... It needs to be worth the cake. And if it is, then have two slices. Mm. But I mean... Oh my God, I love cake. Cake's amazing. Mm. 
because of Great Brits Back Up, I started baking. That's when the stomach Amazing. started happening because we had cake in the house always. We've put a lot of hard work into it. Absolutely. <laughs> it doesn't come easy. But I, I, you enjoy cooking. I love Because cooking. you post beautiful fruit yes. photos on Instagram. And also, oh my God, that looks lovely. I love cooking. And I think my, expre- my artistic expression comes through my my presentation as well but i've also worked thank you i've worked in the restaurant industry for a long time as well so you go through life with open eyes yeah i do and i love to learn about food and my i think one of my biggest interests is the relationship in which we have with food yeah i've been through a stage in my life where before rehab i stopped for about two years doing any drugs maybe had a drink very rarely Stop smoking, stop smoking weed, went to the gym five, six times a week. So there, across addicted. Yeah. I looked great, felt great. But then, again, a relationship happened, a relationship broke up. Oh, wow. And then I went back into my old lifestyle. So, just to touch on the not quite vegan thing, is because I started to really take an interest into where our food comes from and what it actually does to our body and what's in the food. I work for Jamie Oliver's in the UK. I mean, he's the biggest promoter of read the label. Yeah. Why are you feeding your kid that? Do you know how much sugar is in that? You know, and so I've just opened my eyes. I opened my eyes massively and I started to watch documentaries. And I remember watching one specific one and I didn't eat meat for almost a year. Uh, I was just, I was just like, oh my gosh, what are we doing? What am I doing? Oh no. I'm oh no, the, I can't. I'm there at the oh. moment. In my head, I'm a vegetarian. Yes. <laughs> in, in practice, not yet. But what we do with animals is just. It's crazy. I really, really. I've, I've developed a morality around it. I, yeah. I don't feel comfortable that that thing had to die in such a way for me to stuff my pile. Yeah. It's part of my spirituality, definitely. It's just of my growth. I, 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 I don't feel comfortable with it anymore. I think you've. I think that stuff my face. That is su- such a valuable statement because that's exactly what we do with food now. And I don't see anything wrong with somebody enjoying meat, but not every day, not mindlessly. Yes. I mean, if I'm going to eat meat, I want to know where it's from. Yes. Preferably free range. Um, I'm nodding and. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I mean, I sometimes forget we're not on tea. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, they can't see. What I've come to realize is if my body says to me, Melissa, that lamb smells delicious, then my body's trying to tell me something. And Mm. I've been to to a naturopath. You know, I'm finding I've I'm still finding out things about my body that I never knew before. And I think recovery for me is being present. And being present for me means mindfulness. And mindfulness comes into so many areas of my life. And even through yoga, you know, even more mindfulness is there. So I start to think about, well, if I'm mindfully moving my body, what am I putting into my body? What am I washing my hair with? Yes. What am I putting on my skin? What am I cleaning my house with? What am I... Washing your clothing. Exactly. So I've changed everything. Oh, wow. I have plant-based everything as much as I can. Wow. That's As much as much. So everything is plant-based. But if I want that lamb curry, um, something's saying to me, Melissa, eat the lamb curry. 
And if it's I once a you. month or once in six months or once a week, Didn't I'm going to have the lamb curry because when I cook for myself, it's vegetarian and it's vegan. Okay. If I go to a restaurant, I love fish. Okay, I love cool. fish. But if they have a, a beautifully presented dish, I mean, look at the time and the effort and the love that that mm. has gone into. I appreciate that. So I'm going to have it. Awesome. But I've really got to be in the mood for yeah. it. Yeah. I chatted to somebody the other day about this type of same thing. And I said, the fact that my brother hunts freaks me out. And he said to me, but the animal that your, that your brother shoots dies far more humanely than the animal that you buy in the shop. So what's your problem? And she's right. So yeah. since then, I've changed my attitude around yeah. that completely. Yeah. <laughs> Music, where does it fit into your life now? Because it, it used to be... You went on to a TV show at some stage. Yeah. Or a movie. A documentary. What, what was that? So my using took away music. I listened to music and I connected with music that way, but it took away my my performance. What type of music did you listen to? Angry? Angry music? All of it. <laughs> okay. So from Yo-Yo Ma classic to hard dance music to minimal techno to Kings of Leon, so my band, Muse is my favourite band. Their lyrics got me through some real tough times. Yeah, everything. I mean, maybe not so much pop music at the time, but more pop music today, especially in South Africa, because the pop music that's on the radio here is actually house. A lot of the time mm. it's African house. It's amazing. So yeah, super eclectic taste in music. But right now... I'm honouring the fact that my using took away over 10 years of my music performance. So I was faced with an opportunity. If I want to come back to South Africa, how am I going to get a visa? What are my options? So I either come back on a student visa or I volunteer. If you volunteer, you live on no money. Yeah. No thanks. So I thought, well, maybe I should investigate the studies. And obviously... I'm interested in a lot of different things because I'm very artistic and very creative. So it was between music, um, interior design and psychology. Okay. The, the typical thing is to do psychology because we're into recovery. Yeah. Um, I'm not ruling it out completely. The interior design, wonderful, but really, Let's get real here. I'm a musician at heart. Oh, cool. I love so that. I so get back to the to basics. Do it. Yeah. Oh, cool. So I started looking around, in which time a friend of mine who was also in recovery was doing a course and she said, why don't you do the short course, uh, which was like eight weeks and it was in um, music uh, production. So using software to create music. Okay. So I did that. Then I found that open day went to the open day and I hadn't done my trick. So I thought, crap, they're not going to let me in. Yeah. And they were like, fear not, we have a higher certificate. Oh. So you can come and do the years course, that is the equivalent of, of a matric, and then if you want to do the degree, that will stand in the place depending on how good your grades are. So I thought, wonderful, okay, cool, let's apply. So music in my life today is not so much performance, but there is performance. But it's also, I'm, I'm studying some production. Cool. So that's covering so many different areas. It's not just music, it's, it's okay. you know, it's sound. So don't you play at all anymore? I do if, I, if I'm asked. 
Or sometimes, and usually I find it's when I'm in a bit of a weird headspace, then I'll sometimes take out the violin. I have my violin and my flute here. Sometimes I'll take it out of the box and I'll just okay. I'll just play. And we have the most incredible lounge that's tiled floors, big open space, so it has a oh, great wow. reverb. So the violin sounds amazing. <laughs> but I'm still I'm st- I've still really got and people might not believe me when I say it, but I've got performance anxiety. And it's something that if I know I have to perform, and this was with me from, from a child. So that's always been. It's, it's always not something been. that you lost. No. Or, or that's not something that you gained later on. Okay. No, it's just stronger now because I don't As have it. anything to suppress it. Okay, yeah. So my drugs and alcohol and smoking helped, oh, yeah. obviously, when I was older in school because yeah. I was in orchestras and bands and... I had a music scholarship at one of the schools, so... Oh, my God. You know, I smoked at school. Yeah. You know. I struggle with the performance anxiety, and the documentary did help. Yeah, the documentary did help. And there is a piece in there where they actually um, focus on that. And it is, it's like... It's got so much better since then, it's amazing. What was the documentary? The documentary was 10 Addicts and Alcoholics in Recovery that had a history of classical music and that their consequences of, of using okay. had drawn them away or destroyed their careers. Oh, wow. And I was... So you did... That happened when you when you left rehab? Yes. I somehow thought it was before. Fresh okay. out of rehab. Oh, my God. Yeah. So how did they hear about you? How did... They didn't. I knocked on their door. Oh, cool. Yeah. And it was through... I was in a meeting. I was in a, a 12-step fellowship meeting and I was sharing about the fact that nothing was going right for me. <laughs> Why can't I just do this? And I've been to treatment and I'm doing the best I can and I just want to play music again and I want a job and why can't I do this? And this guy came after me at the end of the meeting and he was like, I play piano. I was like, brilliant. Have you heard about the documentary that Channel 4's doing? They're looking for candidates. And for whatever reason, he wasn't going to go in for it. Uh, he said you should look it up and he mentioned the name of the composer and yeah he said you should get in touch typical messy brain forgets until two weeks later or a week later she has another meltdown (laughs) I think the kitchen drawer fell on my foot so I went mental threw things everywhere (laughs) fuck this shit my life's so crap and then I sat down in a puddle full of tears and it popped into my head, that Channel 4 thing. So I Googled it and I got a contact number. Actually, I sent a message. Within two hours, Freddie, they'd phoned me and they were like, are you free to do a telephone interview? I was still wiping the snot off my face. <laughs> so I actually had to say to her, can you just give me a moment? To pull myself towards myself. I've just had a bit of a meltdown. <laughs> she was like, it's fine, I'll call you back in 10. And then we did a telephone interview. She said, you qualify, are you free to come down to London next week? Obviously, over the moon. So I hesitated and I was like, I don't have any money. Will you be able to help me out? She was like, of course, it'll be all expenses paid. I was like, sign me up right now. <laughs> right I couldn't here. wait to where's, get out of Where's the dotted line? <laughs> I mean, I was in my old house. All my using went yeah. there, fresh out of oh rehab. I was crazy. Yeah. So London calls and I'm like, take me now. So long story short, there was 10 of us and, you know, it was from the 
from uh, the lady, a lady who was in her 50s to a girl that was a bit younger than me. And all of us had this classical music background, but for whatever reason, had either become sidetracked or had actually like screwed ourselves over. And we created the most amazing music and the brainchild of it, he'd lost his his son to a heroin overdose and he was only 18. Oh. James McConnell is the composer. So, I mean, he's a recovering alcoholic himself and and he I th- it was based around his a conversation with his son that was what if we could get all of these crazy addicts that are such amazing artists yeah. together and actually do this whole music shebang. So, that's what we did. And we worked with two members from the London Symphony Orchestra. We worked with a world-famous composer and we created a 22-minute piece of music, original music. Oh, wow. And we also got to play Beethoven's seventh second with the London Symphony Orchestra. So where do we find this? What's it called? It's called the Addict Symphony. The Addict Symphony. Addict Symphony, okay, yeah. So we can, on YouTube, yes. just go the Addict it, Symphony. It is on YouTube. Because do you mind if I put a link? Of course not. Awesome. I'd love that. Fantastic. But the actual performance is in a second video and I encourage anybody that watches it watch the documentary first and then watch, and then watch the music because the magic is there oh, oh. My God, that sounds amazing yeah. I'm getting goosebumps I'm just, getting goosebumps <laughs> because I, it's really easy to yeah. forget that I've done this kind of stuff and actually I was chatting to my partner the other day and saying I've actually worked very hard to get where I am right now and I don't give myself credit for that yeah because it's very easy to look around and go, oh, that's not going right. Or, oh, God, I've, ju- I've got to do this. Oh, I'm so tired. Look at all these things that I have to do. <laughs> but actually, there was one point in my life where I felt I had nothing. Yeah. I felt I had nothing. It was a complete lie because I had everything. But mm. I was so empty inside that I was just yeah. like, I need more. Mm. I am a, such a strong believer of we need to celebrate the little victories. Yeah. Every single one of them we need to celebrate because we don't see that. Let's wrap up with two things. You now live in a lovely little place and you have a boyfriend. I do. And from what I can gather, relationships were dangerous for you. Mm. How do you feel? Right now. In, in this relationship? In this relationship. Mm. So it is the most incredible journey that we've been on. And we are continuing to go through because I think deep down, fight or flight is ingrained in my psyche. Yeah. So to actually be in a relationship where somebody is willing to not only sit down and talk about stuff, but also to challenge and to say, hang on a second, this is not right. And I'm still getting my head around that, you know, and I'm still... And support through the challenge. Yes. Not a challenge and fuck off. Yes. You know, kind of no, your that's me. <laughs> <laughs> that's me. Yeah, totally. Okay. So, I mean, it, it's a conversation that we're having at the moment. It's like, you know, we just need to keep communicating, keep, keep doing mm. what we're doing. Because actually, I think we're doing better than we give ourselves credit for a lot of the time. Invariably, that's what happens. Yeah. We're always doing better than we feel. And most (laughs) of the time, Freddie, we have so much fun. Awesome. And we have such a laugh. And he's so inappropriate. And I'm so inappropriate. (laughs) 
you know, I'm an English girl. I'm a Yorkshire lass, really. <laughs> and for so many years, and sometimes I can pretend that I'm not. But I will say that it is just... I really have to give this relationship credit for the fact that I'm in a relationship with a man that is willing to discuss things. Oh, fabulous. Because being an English woman and a Yorkshire lass, <laughs> we don't do that over there. Yes. And, and not many, I'm not going to say not everyone, yeah. but not many men are willing to sit down and talk about stuff. Absolutely. And go, okay, I love you. Okay, yeah. let's try and work on this. Oh, well. I don't come from that background. Yeah. So I'm still trying to get my head around that. Yeah, we can fight. We, well, I don't even know whether fight's the word. We can, because it's, I don't think it is a fight, but we can... Disagree. Yeah, but quite passionately. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and what I've learned through people like Byron Katie and um, my sponsor, oh my gosh, my sponsor. <laughs> if I didn't have her, my gosh, I think we would have lasted three weeks. Um, what I've learned through her and... Tony Robbins. Is that... If you have an argument, it's because you're in a relationship with a passionate person. Okay. Do you want a dead plank <clears throat> of wood? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, awesome, yeah. the fact that we can both express ourselves is great. But yeah, it's definitely, we're still very much learning each other. I'm so happy for I'm you going. guys. I really am. When yeah. I saw it the first time, I was like, oh my God, this is so sweet. <laughs> I'm so, so, so chuffed for both of you. As I yeah. said, I just got to know him as very quiet. But yeah. there was something really, really, really real about him you've got my blessing if that means anything <laughs> that's really important for you isn't yes. it <laughs> but he is he's a special being and he's awesome. and he's his service and his dedication to his recovery fabulous you know i must um, get him on here as well yeah definitely yes so i'll, I'll, I'll work through you to make that happen that would be fab. and then there was another thing that i wanted to bring up yes life today yes how how is it turbulent <laughs> turbulent good or turbulent bad turbulent good okay, but sometimes cool. I have days where I'm like what the fuck am I doing and where does it come from is it emotional turbulence or do you yeah. create chaos in your life just emotional no I mean it's emotional it's very much internal and then obviously some of the stuff comes out sideways if you out. speak to Alex he will tell you straight up she's fucking crazy <laughs> batshit crazy she's crazy <laughs> My head can work against me very easily. Mm. I try my best to manage it. I try my best to keep it in the back garden before it gets let out into public, you know, and I phone <laughs> my sponsor and, you know, and I just have to come to terms with the fact that I am an addict and it's very easy to forget that. And actually, I can give myself a break. Sometimes I mess up. Sometimes I say stuff I don't mean. Sometimes I act weirdly. I'm very sensitive very sensitive and i'm a very emotional person i would if i were you just blame the artist i'm an artist well i am an artist <laughs> exactly so but not everybody understands that <laughs> I, I, my feeling is that artists can get away with anything exactly no it's just my other personality yes. <laughs> but i i once read it i once read a quote and it was you know the artist struggles between wanting to be surrounded by people and wanting to run away and hide and that is completely how I feel sometimes, and sometimes I just really need my space. But then too much of that is detrimental. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So I'm very much the too many people can't cope. Too much alone time can't cope. So oh, it's yeah, maintaining yeah. that balance. Like anything in life is balanced and we yeah. struggle with that. I did a Facebook posting the other day of this cat sitting on this wall kind of, oh, I'm so lonely. I wish I had people around and I can't deal with life. So the human comes and reaches out. Don't touch me. Yes. So, so, that, <laughs> so that's kind of the picture I got, oh. I got from you just now. <laughs> It's awfully true, isn't yeah. it? No, it really is. I but saw that. but uh, yeah, life is life is really good. If I take a moment in quiet and I actually reflect, I've got both my parents in my life. You know, I have the ability to actually travel. I live in Cape Town. I mean, come <laughs> on! And not just in Cape Town, in this awesome spot. I live in the best house I've ever yeah. lived in in my life. I mean, my mum's place that I grew up is beautiful. Yeah, we have. The, the the surroundings very similar you know real beautiful it's in a valley I have a lot of gifts of recovery cool. and my hardest challenge is um, sometimes to just have faith in myself yeah fantastic yeah so have that faith thank you very much for having faith in me to talk to me I thank really you. appreciate it and have a wonderful rest of your day thank you cool it's been great I think one can hear the good energy in the room during our chat, and I love this episode and Melissa for it. We referred to the Addict Symphony, the BBC documentary which Melissa starred in. You can find it on YouTube. The documentary is about an hour and two minutes long, while the actual symphony, which is 22 minutes long, is in another video. You can also find two interviews with Melissa, which can be quite nice to get your teeth into. If you want to know more about what I do, please feel free to connect with me on my website, which is www.freddy.org.za, or find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash freddy.org.za forward slash, or on Twitter at at Freddy. Remember that Freddy is always spelt with an IE at the end. I want to thank Melissa for her time and for sharing her journey with Meet Me in the Field, and thank you for listening too. Be safe. Bye.